Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. In this section of our study of Paul's masterclass to the Ephesians, we receive instructions for how the church is to represent the character of God. In the same way that children must learn to conduct themselves according to their parents' rules, we as Christians must follow Jesus' example for the reputation of the church. Thanks for joining us as we study God's dawning of a new day for the church. Uh, there, there is an uh, invention of God that we take for granted. You're so used to it, you forget how wonderful it is. Do you know what it is? It's right at the very beginning of the whole book. Let there be light. Do you know how amazing light is? Uh, you don't realize it until you're lost in the dark and your flashlight batteries run out and you need light. Um, I had, uh, this past Friday, a nightmare. Have you ever had one of those humdingers, the kind that you know is a dream? Like, I knew it wasn't real, but it felt so real. I won't get into the details of it, but um, Emily let Sadie drive. That was the kind of the, uh, the gist of it. And it just led to just disaster. And uh, I, I remember just in those moments, just wake up, I would tell myself. Just wake up because this can't be real. Um, yeah, some of you are chuckling because you know those days are just ahead of me, right? Uh, you know, it's the, it's the dawning light of a new day that helps to scare away the nightmare. Isn't that beautiful? Scaring away the bad thoughts. Those things that would plague our mind and heart cannot survive in the light. And God has told us that he is light. He tells us that his word is a light. He says that you are the light of the world. And so this morning, I've entitled this message in our study through Ephesians, A New Day. And as we study through chapter 5, what I, what I want to emphasize to us is that we would recall this to be a circular letter. A letter that was directed not to one single church, but Paul here writing a treatise upon what is the church. How should the church be structured? How should the church be developed and grown? And what is its purpose here on the earth? And so here now we've come into kind of the back half of the letter. I want to give you a reminder that this is where Paul now begins to meddle within our lives for how we live. One of the struggles that I had in preparing this message is that you, you'll be able to see this, obviously, is that it is thick with application. You know how every Sunday we work our way towards application? That's kind of where we seek to land as God's people. For if we are not applying God's word, what are you doing? <laughs> right? If you're not trying to live out the commands of God in your life, you're kind of fooling yourselves. Well, one of the things you're going to find is that it's all over every sentence in chapter 5. And yet I do think that there is some structure that we can find, that we can get around to move us towards some really specific challenges in the life of Christians to make sure that we are following as those who now walk, not, at, not in the darkness, not in the nightmare of fear, not in the behavior of the world outside, but in the bright light of a new day. So with that in mind, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read through verses 1 through 20. There's a lot here. We're going to get through it quick as we can this morning. Paul says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us 
as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor, th- nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, got to take a breath there, right? There is a, there is a lot packed into this section. Um, as we're walking through it, I want to give you a few characteristics to pay attention to. Uh, the first is, I think Paul might have been dealing with uh, the children's sermon around this time, because he talks about children quite a bit, and he also gives what is so frequently the question of children, the answer to the question, well, why? Do your kids ever ask that? Why? Why do I need to go? Why do I need it? Well, he does that. Like again and again, when you find a command that's given, immediately the Apostle Paul is going to give you the reason why. And what we're going to seek to find out is, in addition to the answer of the question why, he's even going to tell us how to do it. That's what we're going to, that's what we're going to aim at this morning. Just a couple of other, other things. Um, Paul here in chapter 5 is not giving individual instructions. You may remember from last Sunday, we studied the new self Take off the old, put on the new. It was extremely applicable to you as the individual. Well, now at this stage, he is speaking in the plural. He's talking to the church. And so the commands that we're given now are intended to define the nature of the community. Now, don't feel like that still doesn't apply individually to you. It absolutely does. But I want you to know Paul's doing something a little bit bigger than that. He's building out a design, a a structure for how the body ought to look. Secondly, there are three particular structural 
markers in our text this morning. Three commands that are given uh, with, a, with a unique Greek word, peripateo. Uh, I, I want to show you where they show up so that you get the structure before we get into it. Um, it that word, that Greek word is translated uh, live. It's a command for how you should live. It actually finds its root back in chapter 2 when he said, this is how you used to peripateo. Uh, pateo here is the root meaning uh, it's walk. The, the root of the word means to tr- tr- trample. That's what the... This is what the word means, with a prefix at the beginning, peri, which means around. So if you translated this just exactly as it was etymologically, it would be how you walk around. So how do you walk around, church? What does it look like for when someone sees you walking around? Is it big, look at me? Is that what people are seeing? Is it wo, lo, ho, hum, e, or? What, what, what is it for you? How, how do you live your life? And so the first place this shows up is in verse 2. Do you see it there? It says, and live a life of love. That's going to be our first section. You'll notice our second section in verse 8. For you were once in darkness, but you, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. That's the second portion. And then verse 15, you'll find the third section that we're going to study. Be very careful then how you walk around. How you live the character of your life. I want to remind you now as well that Paul is meddling in the life of the church as contrasted earlier with individuals. Uh, One last thing for you to pay attention to before we dive into some observations, which is the the ace up his sleeve. Paul Paul has a trump card to play at the end of it all. It's really the key to our understanding of this. And I want to make sure that I show you the cards before we play the game, before we get into it. Because the key here for Christians is the Spirit of God. Even though we have a lot of application that's brought out in this passage, it all hinges directly at verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And immediately flowing from that is where we're going to find our application for this morning house. Are you guys with me? He's talking to who? You or the church? He's talking to the church. We got three main sections that, he, that we're going to unpack, all surrounding the command, this is how you ought to live. And then lastly, the, the, the ace card is your connection, your work, your role in uniting with the Spirit's leading in your life. That's where we're going for this morning. So first observation that I want to give you this morning, looking to the children of God, this is in verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Well, here it is for Paul, the church must live according to the character of God. The church must live according to the character of God. It's a great word, imitators, as dearly loved children. I'm sure my son probably gets tired of hearing it from me, but I remember hearing it from my father that I carried his name. And so my behavior was a reflection upon who? My dad. Same is true for my son. Same is true for your children. And so one of the keys within parenting is learning how to pass along those values so that as your children learn to mature and see their way in the world, that they are carrying your name well. Well, guess what, Christian? You have another name. 
Christ. Not just your last name, not just your earthly family that you reflect. You are giving a reflection upon who God is, how you live your life. People are not going to read the Bible outside of the church. I'm frankly hopeful that people in the church read the Bible, but I know outside, they're not going to pick up a Bible, but they're going to read a text. They are. They're going to be studying a verse. Do you know where that text is found? Do you know where that verse is seen? It's the behavior of your life. It's the way you conduct yourself. It's those things that happen within the family of God that we give a thumbs up to and those we say, no, we're not going to be defined by these particular characteristics. And I want you to know right here at the very beginning, this is because the church must learn to live according to the character of God. Now, this is brought out in two ways, by pursuing Christ-like love and by rejecting immorality. Pursuing Christ-like love and rejecting immorality. So look with me once more on the text, verse 2, live a life of love. How? Just as Christ loved us. There you go. You look to Jesus. Big brother Jesus raised from the dead. The first fruits of resurrection. He will model for you and I how we are to live. And the church needs to pattern their life after pursuing Christ-likeness. Now then Paul gets a little bit deeper in verse 3 of those things that we are to reject. Look with me there. He says, among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. It's a little bit of an interpretive phrase by the NIV translators here. Uh, The word used here is pornea in the Greek. It's where we get the English word pornography from. It means immorality. It means any form of illicit sexual behavior outside of the bounds of a covenantal marriage between one man and one woman. This is a blanket term, pornea, that refers to anything that doesn't fall into that category. And here we are told that when it comes to the nature of God's family, There shouldn't even be a hint of that improper behavior. Yet we live in a dumpster fire of sexual perversion. Uh, It's it's embarrassing, frankly, to, to think about how far our world has gone with the brazenness of bringing a sense of normalcy to that which is perverted. And to the point where if you were even to stand upon God's word, it would be immediately looked upon with not just skepticism, but a kind of high flutin judgment. How dare you, Christian, you think you're holier than thou to speak against what somebody else's true authentic desires might be? How oppressive are you? I think of these as like cockroaches. <laughs> when, I, when I lived in uh, the Caribbean Boy, we had a lot of cockroaches. I started to name them after a while because you couldn't get rid of them. It seemed like any time that you were looking through a drawer, you'd find them. And you know where they'd be? Tucked away in the corners. Tucked away in the darkness. And they didn't come out until when? Until the sun goes down. And then they come out everywhere. I wrote this down. The cockroach of... Uh, uh, of sex shows up in advertising everything from car commercials to cheeseburgers. It shows up in uh, sexuality as your identity with all of the list of the letters for the LGBTQIA on and on. 
It comes, it's a cockroach of the proliferation, the ease, and the acceptance of pornography. It comes with the political correctness of calling the act of prostitution now just sex workers. It comes with the normalization of a hypersexual culture to our children. Things I can't even say in church this morning are being taught in middle school to American children. And the biggest cockroach of all is the way in which every single person is being sexually discipled, changing how you think about sex. What does the word of God say? Verse three, among you, there must not be even a hint of it. And then the apostle Paul is going to go on a little bit to define where's the real source of sexual immorality. He calls it then impurity or of greed. These, these three terms get repeated once more. If you jump down to verse five, he says, for this, you can be sure no immoral person, impure or greedy, because such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of uh, kingdom of Christ and of God. That, that little identifier, idolater, if you were to read commentators on this verse, they're kind of split on this. Some think that that, that um, accusation of idolatry is applied only to greed. Others see it as I see it, which is an expansion of the source of sexual immorality. Why? Well, because people are sexually greedy. They, they are immoral in their desire for more gratification of their flesh. Do you know what that's called? Idolatry. Let's just pause on this. I think I got your attention here for a moment. At what level do the Ten Commandments give a restriction against idolatry? Do you remember the Ten Commandments? Which one is it? Say that in Spanish. Numeral uno. Right? Just to make a point of it, right? It's the, God doesn't have to get any further on in the Ten Commandments to identify, do you know what the worst, most destructive one for you is? It's idolatry. And here, I believe, we are told that that is one way it's head rears, its ugly head rears itself, is through sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. It's a form of idolatry. And so we here, as the church, we're called to live according to the character of God, not according to the character of the world. So we must collectively say, yeah, we recognize that this is a temptation in our lives. You think it was in Paul's day? Yes or no? Think this was a temptation then? Yeah. Did they have the internet then? They have ease and accessibility of all of the terrible cockroaches that show up all over the place. No. And so in many ways today, it's not any different. And in some ways, it's so much worse. Let's collectively agree, church, this should not be part of our lives. This should not be part of the family of God. And wherever it is, and every single person has been discipled by the world in sexual perversion. Wherever that has shown up, either a brokenness in your own life, in your own heart, your family members, those around you, everyone has been affected by it. Let's bring it to the foot of the cross. Let's confess it. Let's lay it down. Let's call it for what it is. For we are called to live after Christ-like love and reject this kind of immorality. Amen? All right. Secondly, now we're going to move on to another kind of children. By the way, there's more in here. The coarse joking, foolish talk, right? Uh, all that's wrapped up in this kind of immorality. There's more going on there. False teachers, you'll see people deceiving you with empty words have nothing to do with them. There's more going on there. We could talk about that a little bit further. But I want to move on to the second observation. Second type of children now are children of light. Look with me in verse 8. 
For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live, there's our command, live as children of light. So what should the church do? The church must live after the fruit of light. That's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? The fruit of light. It sounds bizarre, kind of esoteric. I think it's actually pretty simple. Try it out tonight. Turn all the lights off in your house and go and try to find some scotch tape in a drawer. (laughs) And then turn the light on. What's the fruit of light? Being able to see your way. That's the fruit of light. Um, The word of God is going to give us a few other examples for what the fruit of life looks like. One in particular that I think Paul has in mind to emphasize to the church, but this comes from 1 John. Watch this. This is at the beginning of his letter. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, watch for the fruit now. Watch for the fruit. You ready? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with who? With one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What's the fruit of life in, John, in John's life here? It's a church that loves one another. It's a church that has fellowship with one another, supports one another, doesn't judge one another apart from an encouragement as iron sharpens iron to follow Jesus closer. It's a kindness to forgive It's a quickness to listen. It's a broken heart to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what the fruit of light looks like. I want you to see it in the text here. Verse 9 tells us uh, the character of the fruit of light. It says the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Do you want to live in that kind of church? What do you say, congregation? Is, Is that what we would like to have? Absolutely. Goodness and righteousness and truth. Let that be what we pursue. Well, how do we do this? Well, we do it by fleeing and exposing evil with resurrection light. Let me see if I can point out this observation to us from the text this morning. Um, Fleeing evil. Look with me in verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Well, there, there's fleeing. You know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Sold into Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife says, Woo, look at that young man. She tries to chase him down, wants to get with him. And do you know what he says? How can I sin against God? How can I sin against my master in doing this evil thing? And she grabs onto him in his jacket, and what does he do? Run, son. Run. Flee. Flee. There's this interesting thing that would happen when those cockroaches would come out at night. Do you know how I'd get rid of them? That's it. You know. You got cockroaches too? You guys know? (laughs) You you flip the light on and what do they do? I think, first of all, they gasp. I know. I could never heard it, but I think they go. (gasps) And then they scatter. Church, that's, that's what we're supposed to do. When it comes to evil in our lives, turn the light on. Turn the light on. And it will do two things. It will help you to flee from evil, but it will also help you to expose 
where those dark corners are. Look with me in the text once more. It says, rather expose them in verse 11. For it's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. Uh, we, we live in a culture and a time right now where there's a lot of disobedience. There's a lot of man-centeredness. There's a lot of legislation right now that will be voted on on Tuesday that's filled with darkness. What does the Bible say? Expose it by the light. Well, people are going to attack me. Well, what do you think they did to Jesus? Be ready, church. Let me encourage you, Christian. This is for what you are here for. To stand up for truth. Expose evil by turning on the light. Now, there's a particular nuance to this light that I want to show you. Because this this blows your mind. This blows my mind. Verse 14. For it's the light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said. And the Paul's going to quote something here. Commentators don't know where this comes from. They, they're not able to find this as a direct quote in the Old Testament. They find ones that are similar. They find some verses that are uh, kind of on the same level. We read one this morning out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 60. Um, it's the, um, as Lois told me this morning, Arise and Shine. You know the song when you're little? Rise and shine and... Four of you know that song? Come on, you guys. Rise and shine and give God the glory, right? This is what it means. Well, this is not a quotation from Isaiah. Do you know what this is in verse 14? This is a quote from a hymn. This is so cool right now. I feel like like a little biblical archaeologist in the Bible. Because do you know what Paul records for us? He records what might be verse 1 to one of their hymns. That the Christians would sing in church when they would get together. Now, we don't know the tune that went to it, but look at the words. Wake up, O sleeper, and then check this out. Rise from the dead. Now, when was the last time your spouse was sleeping so hard that you thought they were dead? Wake up! Wake up! (laughs) Rise from the dead. That's not what this has in mind. This is speaking... This is speaking to the illumination of the Spirit of God upon our dead spirits that we would wake up to the newness of a brand new day, of the the light of Jesus Christ shining upon us with with the gospel and would open our eyes and watch this now, not just wake up, but come to life. How cool is that? Can you tell I'm trying to make a big deal about this? This is amazing to me. It's not just wake up, sleepyhead. This is dead person come to life. And it is that particular light. It's that version of light that you and I are now called to use to expose evil and flee from evil. It is a resurrection light. And the end of the hymn says, and Christ will shine on you. The Apostle Peter has uh, this similar idea in mind, looking at a particular nuance of how that light shines. How does the light of Christ shine into us? This is from 2 Peter 1. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. The NIV here says, made more certain. Look at the command. And you will do well to pay attention to it. How? As a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's speaking here of the message of the gospel in accordance with God's word. Have you ever thought of the Bible that way? The Bible is a light. Did you know that? It is a lamp to show you how you ought to live. 
your life. And it's the Spirit of God working in us to illumine our hearts, to bring that resurrection light so that you, like, well, the sin in you, let's characterize that that way, the sin in you, like a little cockroach, what does that sin want to do when the light shines? Run away. Flee away. Stomp on a couple of them, too, as they're running away, right? Kill them. Get done with them. So here we go. What should the church do? Well, the church must live after the fruit of light. This has to do with fellowship. This has to do with righteousness, goodness, and truth. How do we do it? Well, we do it by fleeing away from evil, exposing evil with the truth of the gospel, a kind of resurrection light. You guys still with me? Amen if you're with me here. All right, thirdly, one more form of children, spirit-filled children. Well, we don't actually have the word children listed here, but for continuity, I put it in there. Being spirit-filled, the church must learn to live opportunistically wise. This shows up in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Pay attention to verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. I, uh, listen, uh, it's, a, it's a midterm election. You have an opportunity to make change, to let your voice be heard. Let me encourage you, take advantage of the opportunity that is afforded you and take advantage of it with wisdom. If if you've not done the research that you need to on what is on the ballot, on who is on the ballot, let this be the little encouragement of admonition that you take the time to do that this week before Tuesday. I'm, I'm building this not as a political insert into my message, but as a direct form of application to God's word. What does it say? Make the most of every what? Opportunity. Why? Because the days are what? Evil. God has put his church here. He's left us here. That we would let his will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And Jesus reigns and rules. He is the king. He is alive Let us begin to help uh, partner with the Spirit of God that his kingdom would be visible on this earth. And you have opportunity to make, in a big way, a participation with that. Now, how do we do this? Well, by being controlled by God's Spirit. In verse 17, he says, Don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. We have this contrast that Paul makes with a particular command of filling of the Holy Spirit contrasted with drunkenness. Now, I put a different word up here because this is what Paul intends you to understand by that comparison. What does wine do to the drunkard? It overcomes their senses. It then begins to control them. It, as a foreign agent, makes them like a puppet where they are no longer in control of their faculties and behavior. That's what wine does. And Paul says, don't do that. That leads to foolishness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. As much as I love my charismatic brothers and sisters who have a little bit of a different definition for what that is manifest like, I want to stay right here in the text, and I want to offer to you the teaching that says, Filled with the Spirit means controlled by the Spirit. 
In the same way that wine would control the drunkard, Christian, you need to be filled, not with wine, filled with the Spirit, such that now your thoughts and then your words, remember, should there be coarse joking, foolish language, obscenities? Is that what you should be controlled with? No, we want none of that. Be controlled by the Spirit in how you think and speak. How about our behavior? Sexual immorality and impurity and greed? No, not like that. Be filled and therefore controlled by the Spirit of God. And this is how I believe you and I will learn how to be opportunistically wise as the agents of God's reform on earth. Ambassadors sent to make the appeal to our neighbors and our family members. Let your life be changed. Be transformed in how you live. Has to do with control. Paul says something very similar in Romans 8. He says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on, set on with the spirit. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Watch this verse now. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. That's the ace card, you guys. That's it. That's that's the card that wins the whole hand for Paul. The Spirit of God will triumph over whatever vestiges of cockroach-like sin still huddle in the darkness of your life. The Spirit of God and being controlled by the Spirit of God will help bring about that change. A couple of conclusions that I want to offer to you here. The first is that the child of God is motivated by imitating God. So back in verse 5, or chapter 1, verse 5, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. John says it similarly in 1 John chapter 2. If anyone obeys his word, love of God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's like spiritual Simon says. Remember that game? Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your ear. I got like three of you doing it with me here. Touch your chin. Oh. Simon No, you're, you and I are supposed to imitate God. And that for the child of God, that's what motivates them. When you were growing up, did you have any heroes? Right? Did, you, did you have anybody that you just really looked up to that you wanted to be like? When I was a kid, do you know who it was? It was Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan. Those were the guys that I wanted to be like. And so I'd watch how they dribbled, right? I'd watch how they played. I would imitate them because I wanted to be like them. Well, listen, you, child of God, you and I need to be motivated in our obedience by our desire to imitate God, to be like him. Secondly, the child of light is motivated by pleasing God. If you look with me back into verse 10, well, 8 through 10, right? You're once in darkness. You're now, in, you're now light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse, verse 10. And find out what pleases the Lord. That's what it means to live in light. To be light in God 
is motivated. Like, how do I do that? You do that by learning what pleases God. Uh, when I was a little bit older and my mom would let me ride my bike into town, um, I would ride to my dad's work. And there was a particular gas station snack that my dad really liked. They were called Little Debbie's. Anybody? <laughs> and uh, it was a particular kind of Little Debbie because, thankfully, gluttony in America has a hundred different kinds. Uh, it was a nutty bar. Anybody with me on nutty bars? Um, I went shopping the other day, which was a big mistake. And uh, they had at Super One like this big sale for this monster family pack of Little Debbie nutty bars that I bought and then snuck under my arm right down to my office. What, what should you do with a family pack? Probably share it with the... I would get on my bike when I was little. I would go to the gas station and I'd buy one of those and I'd drive to my dad's work and I'd go bring it to him. And man, did that make me feel good because he would light up. Hey, Ryan, what do you got there? Oh, it's my favorite. Oh, he'd be so happy. I loved it because that made my dad proud. It pleased him. And I wanted to do whatever made him proud, whatever pleased him. Listen, Christian, child of light, the Bible here is commanding you, find out what pleases the Lord and then be motivated to live like that. Third conclusion, the spirit-filled child is motivated by understanding God's will. If you look with me in our third final section here, right? Uh, Be filled with the spirit. In verse 17, it says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Hmm. What should I do? How should I live? What what would God want me to do? All right. Spirit filled Christian. That's what should motivate you. What is God's will in this Circumstance, And then how should I live and order my life to follow after his will? Paul says this in the letter to the Thessalonians. He says, it is God's will. Well, there it is. If you ever wanted to know it, here it is in chapter four. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That's a big word that means holy, set apart. Don't look like the world. Don't look like the world. You as God's family need to look holy. And what is the very first command that shows up when it comes to holiness? That you should avoid Sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. And in this manner, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins, as we told and warned you before. God did not call you to be impure, but to live a holy life. This is God's will. So church, I feel like this is a big time nugget of truth here in these conclusions. What should motivate us? Well, I should imitate God. I should look like God. I should seek what pleases God. And I should be motivated by whatever his will is. So how do we do that? Here's where I want to end for this morning. And this is the challenge that I want you to think through your own life, your own process and journey of discipleship. How do you imitate God? You ready, church? Number one, encourage the study and meditation of God's truth with each other. Now you may ask, Where was that in Ephesians 5? I'm glad you asked. Let me show you. In verse 18, it says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, and immediately we're given the commands. Here it is. Verse 19. Speak 
to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Notice the text does not say sing. It says speak to one another. There's like 10 minutes of commentary I'd love to give you as to why that's such an important distinction of the command. You already have a hint of it in this text. Do you remember verse 14? There's the hymn. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Do you know what that is? That is truth of God's gospel. That the church would share with one another. They wrote down truths in psalms, in hymns, and in spiritual songs. Why? Well, because much of them were illiterate, and this was the way that you would remember God's truth. This is why Paul says with the command, speak to one another with God's truth. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I don't think that he actually means hymns and spiritual songs the way we have it today. Like next time I see Phil, and we're walking in the foyer right there, I shouldn't say, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder. Phil be like, no, no, no. Like, uh, how great thou art contains truth, does it not? Yeah, absolutely. And for the church, you and I have got 2,000 years of a treasury of that truth. So this is what Paul means. If you want to learn how to imitate God, learn more about God. The church needs to encourage this. In Paul's day, they did it through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. How do we do it today? Well, we got a Bible study on Monday for the ladies. We got a Bible study on Wednesday. We got three more that are happening all around. We have the ability within our life groups to gather and to share truth with one another. Church, let me encourage you. Do not leave today thinking, well, I know I'm supposed to imitate him, but I don't know how to do that. Here's how. He tells us right here. Speak to one another. And encourage that as something that's regular, a regular occurrence within the family of God. Call, call someone over to your house. Talk about God. Start, start a new little Bible study. We are right now media. We got ways we can do it here. Come on a Wednesday. It's awesome in the morning. We'd love to have you. But let this become something that's a defining feature of the character of our church of our gathering, and it will help us to learn how to imitate God. Um, I want you to see how this is repeated. The application I'm giving you shows up in Colossians 3, verse 16. Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. How cool is that? That's the message of the gospel. That's the word of God. Let it dwell. Isn't that a cool verb? Like, let it live here. Don't let it just be something that shows up on a Sunday morning. Let the message of Christ live in your midst. As you teach and admonish one another. And how did they do it back then? There it is. That's how they taught one another. That's how they admonished one another. Now the singing shows up here. And that's where I want to get to my second application. How do you please God? You got to sing, church. You got to sing. Now some of you are like, you don't want to hear me sing. I don't. But God does. Do you know this is our superpower? I, I love that we sing. There's no other religion that sings. There isn't. There's, there's no other false God that's out there where the people gather together and sing. 
Look with me in the text once more. This is the middle of verse 19. Sing. Well, there it is. That's the command. You need to sing. Now, if you can't sing, he helps you out. Look at the next one. Make music in your heart to the Lord. That counts as well. Here's what that's doing. It's helping to please God. God loves it when you sing. I believe that God's actually built this into the fabric of all of his creation. We're told uh, in the Old Testament that the stars pour forth speech. That the trees clap their hands. Uh, Last week when I was in South Dakota hunting, um, I witnessed something that took me a couple mornings to figure out. There was something absolutely incredible. And if you've ever been out on a deer blind um, in the morning when the sun is rising, I want you to watch for this. Because like I say, it took me a couple times before it really sank in. As the sun is creeping over the horizon and things are becoming more visible, do you know what happens? The forest comes alive. It is the coolest thing. I started to, there, there were birds that were singing songs over here. There were critters over here that were chirping. It was like as soon as the sun rose for a new day, do you know what the creation did? They had church. They sang. All the creatures were singing. And it was the coolest thing when I finally realized that this was what was happening. Part of the reason that it really kind of clued in on me is because it would happen for about 15 minutes straight. And then it kind of stopped. And then all the little critters went on with their day. The birds flew away to go find some food. The little critters on the ground were chewing on acorns, right? Everybody got busy with their day. But do you know how they started their day? By singing. Church, this makes God so happy. I hope that you go home today and find something better to listen to on the radio. <laughs> turn off whatever rubbish might be there and turn on some Christian music. And just let your spirit be released to sing. And you know what God does? I think he just smiles upon you when you do that. That's how you learn to please God. Thirdly, how do, how do I understand God's will? How do I know what God's will is? Here it is. You need to have your mind renewed. You need to change how you think. You have been twisted and perverted, discipled by a culture and a world that does not glorify God. They glorify man. And so you need to change how you think. The very best way to do this, this is the very best, is by being thankful. So give thanks for everything In the name of King Jesus. Look with me on the very last verse. Verse 20. He says. Always giving thanks to God the Father. For everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just translated that to say. King Jesus. That's what it means to call him Lord. Is to recognize. All of creation has been offered as an inheritance. To Jesus. He is the ruler. The king. The judge. Sits and enthroned on high. Seated at the right hand of God. Ready to come back to claim that which is his own. You need to give him thanks for everything that's his. In Romans chapter 12, we're given another picture of that changing of our mind. It says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and his pleasing and his perfect will. Our our minds have been twisted up. We do not think the way God thinks because we have been discipled incorrectly by the world. And so we need transforming of our mind. Do you know the very best way to do that? The very best way is to give thanks. And so I want to ask you and challenge you this morning, 
When was the last time you made it a point to just give God thanks? It's easy when things are going good. Paul tells us in Philippians, don't be overcome by anxiety, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You'll, you'll, you'll have a renewed way of thinking about this world when you make it a point to give thanks. Church, I'm, I'm wrapping this up right now, but I just want, I, I want you to wrestle with this slide just for one more minute. Because when it comes to imitating God, it's a question of truth. And we need to engender this as part of the culture of our church family, that we speak to one another about the truths of God. When it comes to pleasing God, he loves to hear his creation sing. Find a way to sing. Even if you sound like a squeaky wheel, that's okay. God loves to hear you sing. It's your superpower on earth. And then lastly, to understand his will, we have to, we have to unravel the twist in this that's happened in the way that we think. And the very best way you can do that is by being thankful. Just one last verse, if you look with, with me back in verse 4. Where there shouldn't be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, they're out of place, but rather what? I know most of you closed your Bibles already. Someone's got it open there. The end of verse 4. What should there be instead? Thanksgiving. It's going to be easy at the end of this month, right? So let's start practicing it now. And then if your life in any way is still characterized by the fruitless deeds of darkness, maybe the nightmare of sexual pollution has plagued itself upon you somewhere. Maybe obscene speech or shameful behavior, some form of impurity. You know, it's more socially acceptable in our world today to pursue greed, which is idolatry. You're a slave to your job. You're a slave to your paycheck. You can be self-absorbed in your hobbies. You know what God says? It's a new day. It's a new day. Wake up. Wake up. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.